Hey, Barry. Hey, Al. How do you keep your place in a spell book? Tell me, how? With a magic marker. <laughs> it's time for Compelled Duel. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Compelled Duel. I'm Al. And I'm Barry. And we are a single-player, co-DM'd 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons actual play podcast. Previously on Compelled Duel. The captain requests your company for dinner. You can tell the captain, whatever his name is, that I wholeheartedly decline. Put on the fucking dress. It's a matter of principle. You flirted us into this mess. Now, goddammit, you are going to go up there and flirt us out. Well, the first thing you need to understand, lass, is that no harm is going to come to you aboard my ship. How do you know Sabine? Fee, there is the razor-sharp edge of a cutlass leveled against your throat before you have the time to react. Sabine's my wife, and, uh... This wouldn't exactly be the first time she sent an assassin after me. Kavis Thunder, what have I gotten myself into now? Well, putting aside my relationship with your wife and whoever Kiva is. Were you raised under a rock, class? Kiva? Tempest Master? Mother of Chaos? The Stormbringer? Ringing any bells? The what? What were you doing in Candlelight Wharf? Trying to get passage to Vogvoder. There's a bit of an obstacle to that objective in front of you. The captain unrolls a big map. The blockade's set up right here. They haven't declared war yet, but we can all pretty well see it on the horizon. This is exactly what the old man's been wanting this entire time. And I just became his newest excuse. Kiva, huh? The figure raises their arm as if to wave. A huge wave rolls up, crests, and crashes down. And when it hits the water again, there is nothing. We open up a little over a week after the last time we saw our heroes. The ship, and you now know that the name of the ship is the ship, it's on a nameplate on the side and everything, is headed to the island of Parley Cove in the Zephyr Isles. The captain mentioned that you would have to backtrack a little bit in the days following your conversation and his agreement to help you and you are in the process of that. The captain also made it clear that while you and Leo are aboard his vessel fee, the two of you are going to have to work to earn your keep. Since you have your wand and your orb, your spellcasting focus is back, you have made yourself pretty useful given that a lot of your abilities include controlling the weather. Yeah, especially since for my level nine spell, I got control wind. And that clearly has its applications aboard a sailing vessel. Yes, so you graduate 
rather quickly to doing some pretty high level stuff around the ship. You meet a lot of the other officers. There is the first mate, you, who is the young, small stormfolk girl with the great big sword. You find out that she's the elven equivalent of about like 17, and you find it a little strange that someone so young is the first mate. Right up until you watch her put the absolute fear of God into a middle-aged deckhand, and then you understand why. The only person on the ship younger than her is the gunner, Glasses, who proves himself over the next couple days to be a very capable artificer who has outfitted all the cannons aboard with really crazy magical upgrades. There is the sailing master, Pelican, who you saw staring at you in the middle of the night the last we left you, and his husband Boots, who is the ship's cook. There is also Doc, the ship's surgeon, who is a very old crotchety stormfolk lady who mostly stays below deck and doesn't want to talk to anybody unless you're bleeding out of some orifice. And additionally, there is the bosun, Ascot, who was the plump young stormfolk man that came down to take you up from the brig when you first met the captain. He's mostly in charge of running numbers on the ship, taking inventory, making sure everybody's supplied, things like that. Very nervous young man, kind of twitchy, always seems like he's in a hurry and really worried about something. Since you're bringing a lot of wind to the table, you end up working with Pelican a lot because he's the one that's in charge of everything to do with the sails and the rigging and making sure that the ship's headed where it's supposed to be headed. And Leo... Leo swaps the deck a lot. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> and seems highly, highly perturbed at his status on the ship versus yours. So our camera zooms in on a bright, sunny day, mid-afternoon. You are standing up in the rigging with Pelican using one of your control wind spells to kind of blow a big gust of air into the mainsail to give the ship a little more speed. The captain walks down below you, looks up into the rigging, raises his hat, and says, It's fine work you're doing up there, lass. We're making great time. Appreciate it, Captain. He's a little bit smugger than is probably warranted. He smiles with his tongue poked out between his teeth, winks up at you, and walks off across the deck and starts belting out an incredibly rude sea shanty that all of the crew immediately joins in with. You've noticed over the past week that the captain, A, has an absolutely beautiful brassy alto singing voice, and B, knows so many of just the bodiest, most explicit sea shanties you've ever heard in your life. I love that about him. The captain takes off across the deck and stops midway through a line about the buried treasure of a netmaker's daughter in a faraway dockside town to look down at the patch of floor that Leo is on his hands and knees scrubbing and goes, I don't see my reflection in that lad. You might want to work a bit harder. And then continues walking back towards the wheel. <laughs> Leo just starts swearing colorfully in Elvish. Fee's gonna yell down at him. You could always take advantage of your uh, other talents. He glares up at you from the floor and yells back, 
no, I can't. Then fuck you for asking. And then goes back to scrubbing the deck, still just mumbling mutinously under his breath. Enjoy your trapped fingers. Enjoy your hot girl privilege. And then from up above you in the crow's nest where Pelican is hanging out, you hear a ruffle of feathers and land ho! From back at the helm, the captain shouts back, Oh, bloody excellent! He hands the helm over to Glasses, who he yanks off of his process of tinkering with a cannon, and comes and runs back down to the mast where you are up in the rigging and where Leo is still scrubbing the deck. Lass, you may want to come down here. We have a conversation to have before we make anchor. Fee, as gracefully as possible, <laughs> is gonna scramble down the rigging. It is still very far off, but after a while, you do start to draw in closer to this just mass of stone shooting out of the water. It's coming very high up out of the water in sort of a crescent shape surrounding a small bay. As the captain walks past the two of you, he nods at his side for you to follow and then yanks Leo up by the back of the shirt and drags him with you up to the prow of the ship. You close in on this island, you start to see a couple of the bigger buildings in this town that is built along a narrow, rocky beach at the bottom of this tall mass of stone. He nods toward it and says, Parley Cove. With all your help, lass, we've managed to make record time, so we've probably beaten the other monarchs here by at least a few days. Which means that we'll have to spend time there. Parley Cove is... <sighs> he kind of nods to himself silently for a few seconds. I heard Sabine once call it a haven for all manner of vagabonds and miscreants. It's a town inhabited by, dependent on, and catering to pirates. That said, there's no law enforcement in Parley Cove, other than the pirates, which is what you need to worry about. There are some rules, but there are only three. No weapons, no thievery, and no chicanery. However, there's the fourth rule that's not on any of the books, per se. Alright, what's the fourth rule? He grins at you, winks, and then flicks his wrist, and a knife comes out of the sleeve of his shirt. You have no idea how he got it up there. And he kind of waves it at you and Leo and says, don't get caught. So it'd be wise if we could arm the two of you before we go ashore. He takes a few steps to the side and kicks open this big iron-banded chest that is sitting on the deck of the ship and just starts going through it and pulling out weapon after weapon after weapon. You see him pull out like four knives and stash them in various places on his person, like in his shirt and down his pants. He's braiding a set of lockpicks into his hair as he's talking to you. Now, you have to understand that nominally, the rules make sense. Parley Cove's a haven for pirates, so we're dealing with a town full of people that, for the most part, rob, pillage, and loot each other for a living, so things could get a little violent if there were weapons allowed at large. However, if you walk into a tavern in Parley Cove and you expect that anyone in there is not packing iron, you're an Egypt. He finishes braiding the last part of his thieves' tools into his hair, and then looks back up at Yuffie. 
holds up a couple knives and goes, You might want to stash these on you, lass. Fee looks at the knives, raises a hand, fingertips crackling with electricity, and says, Captain, I'm well capable of defending myself. I don't know if it's wise to chance getting caught. He tilts his head to the side, and this absolutely shit-eating smile spreads across his face. He slowly stands up and walks over to you, twirling one of the daggers idly between his fingers, and says, No, you see, that's the point. If you come ashore and they search you, and you don't have anything on you, it's immediately going to be suspicious. And it's that wand of yours you're going to want to hide. So if you stash one... Here. And he grabs at the arm of your dress and slowly slides one of the sheathed knives up under it. And... Here. And he slips one down into your belt. And... May I? And he nods down at your feet. Be my guest. Very respectfully, he lifts up the hem of your skirt and slides the last of the knives down the side of your boot. And here. When they search you, they'll think they found everything you have to hide. When in reality, you're going to put that wand down your corset and be very highly scandalized if anyone thinks to ask about it. But, well, uh... I won't do that part for you, unless you ask me to. Fee smirks at him, takes the wand out of the holster and twirls it between her fingers, and says, Captain, if I were you, I'd be very careful talking about my corset. And then just just stuffs her wand down between her boobs. (laughs) (laughs) He still knelt down on the ground from where he was helping you put the knife in your boot, and he looks up at you, winks again, stands up, looks over at Leo, goes, You can take care of yourself, I reckon. And then walks back to the helm. (laughs) (laughs) Leo blinks a couple times and goes, I've never felt this uncomfortable in my entire fucking life. Fee, like, reaches up to uh, brush her hair behind her ears. Oh, really? Uh, Sorry about that. It is a bit hot out, huh? And you! He rounds on you, just pointing up his finger an inch from your nose. What the hell do you think you're doing? Getting ready for, uh, some I- intense negotiations of international politics, Leo. Uh-huh, uh-huh, I saw that. Look, you're getting ready for some intense something else. Are you out of your mind? He's a pirate! I've noticed. No, Fee, look at me. Eyes on the prize. Fee, look at me. Look at me. Eyes on me. This is a horrible idea. Fee rolls her eyes at him and says, Leo, it's some... Not innocent, but playful, flirting. I'm not exactly proposing commitment. Yes, and we've all been warned about playing with fire before, but playing with well-known international criminals, much less pirate kings, comes with a little higher risk factor. The situation is dangerous enough, and despite the fact that the captain's helping us, I, I don't know if we can trust him. Very quietly, with just a strained smile, he says, I'm a big girl, Leo. How about you let me figure that out for myself? Fine. While you're having your little meet-cute with the pirate king of the Zephyr Isles, I'll be over here shoving a knife in my underwear, I guess. And he turns around and starts diligently shoving a knife down his pants as the ship closes in on the docks at Parley Cove.
You pull into the docks at Parlay Cove. As people start getting off the boat, the captain immediately is just moving in among people, like clapping people on the back, shaking hands, talking in, you recognize the Stormfolk language because you heard Killian and Miriam talking it. It's like off Elvish. A large percentage of the people on these docks are Stormfolk, but there are Gowrier elves like Ravane. There are goblins, halflings, dwarves. There are a whole lot of people. You don't see many Australians, but that's pretty par for the course of anywhere. The captain just gets stopped by a stern-looking, like, middle-aged rear elf dude. He just stops, brings both hands up behind his head, <laughs> and just waits as this guy pats him down looking for weapons, and pulls a knife out from the waist of his pants and one out of his boot, and then just pats him and lets him go. And you also get stopped and frisked by a very, very tiny gnomish lady. Does she have a stool? How does that work? Yeah, I think she has a little stepladder <laughs> that she's carting around on the dock. How many weapons do you have on you right now? I mean, the captain planted three on Fee, so I think I have tried to obviously plant three as well, and then... I also have Kimrel's blade up my sleeve, trying to mimic the maneuver that the captain did, and I'm going to try to just, like, shake it up my arm when I get frisked. Roll me sleight of hand. That will be a 14. Yeah, they pull out the three knives that you've obviously planted fairly quickly. You, like, just barely manage to shake Kimrel's blade out of your sleeve before they catch you with it, and you are clear. Next to you, Fee makes a scandalized sound, and to the lady that is patting her down, she says, I don't think your hands need to wander over there. Thank you. Leo just blinks, shakes his head, and walks to the end of the docks, trying to keep up with the captain. The captain, without turning, in a low voice, says to the rest of you, Lost anything important, or are we good? Leo side-eyes Fee. Just my innocence. We're good. Fee, like, shakes her hair out. I just count myself lucky that I had enough room in the corset for that. The captain pauses and then nods to himself and doesn't take the bait on that one. Right. You two, don't tell anyone your names. I'll take the liberty of introducing you. And then he pulls out a satchel, starts thumbing through what are very obviously business cards. Picks a couple out, and he hands you one, and then he pulls out a separate, smaller little satchel, and pulls out one for Fee. Leo squints down at the business card. What's on it? It's just a little card identifying you as a merchant based in Rivergate, which you know is the port city a bit farther north up the coast of Tordoon from Candlelight Wharf. So, what, you just have a wallet full of false identities for all occasions, then? The captain turns and is, like, walking backwards with a rakish grin, and he says, The thing about being a pirate is, on occasion, you find yourself in possession of names of people who won't be using them anymore. Wallet full of dead people. Cool. I look over at Fee very pointedly and mouth, Wallet full of dead people. Fee mouths back, I knew that already. I walk away from her. I, I, got, I gotta walk away. I can't do this. <laughs> you keep walking through this town. 
the captain is very obviously leading you somewhere. And the rest of the crew that you know personally, like the high-ranking members, are just kind of following along. It's not a super crowded town, but there are a fair number of people here. Much like the docks, largely stormfolk, but far from exclusively. As much as the captain has identified it as kind of a place of mayhem and its share of violence, it seems kind of homey. Like, all the houses along the streets are lit up and there's chatter coming out of the windows, there's music in a few places. The whole place smells like good food and people having a good time. The captain leads you through the street to a tavern that has a sign above it that reads, The Rusty Cutlass. Cool, cool, cool. Pirate bar. Can't wait. I go in, keeping my knife very close to my hand. As you're going to the door, there is a shout, and a little gnomish sailor gets tossed out the front door, almost into the captain, who just quietly sidesteps him. And this middle-aged stormfolk lady yells, And stay out till you've sobered up. The captain tilts his hat at her and says, Ma'am? And then he walks up to the door. There's a little glass case right next to the door that he just like very calmly presses his fingers to his mouth and then to the case and then he just walks in. The middle-aged lady nods at him and says, Captain, lovely to see you. And you all walk in. It is a crowded, rowdy pirate bar. The captain unceremoniously walks to a corner table and just hauls somebody out of a booth. Leo sits down, but he's keeping his head on a fucking swivel. If he settles in next to you, the various high-ranking members of the crew all settle into this big corner table. The captain flags down a very obviously teenaged <laughs> server and orders a round of drinks. Leo takes a swig of his drink and coughs a little bit because I'm assuming it's probably rum and very strong. Oh, yes. <clears throat> Whew, okay, well, if I didn't have anything else putting hair on my chest, um... Captain, I'm curious, how many, um, weapons did you manage to get through the checkpoint? Fee and a couple members of the crew give you sharp looks. The captain lifts his cup, slams half of it. <coughs> Foyf! <coughs> that's... That's really fucking impressive, actually. I mean, we've got a couple days, apparently, while we're waiting on the pirate monarchs. Could you teach me how to do that? He pauses, looks you up and down, and says, Lot, if you've ever been in a knife fight, I'll eat my hat. I mean, technically, I've been in a knife fight with a giant crag cat and a couple elementals. And fee. But I also had a sword during that, so... He takes your drink and just drains it and says, Right then, what say we take this outside? Just out, just out, outside, outside, like, like now? Doesn't have to be right this second, but I consider myself practical. Well, I mean, I thought you said that general display of weaponry wasn't a good idea, is all. It's, it's, not, it's not that I'm scared. I mean, I'm not scared of you or anything. He twirls a finger and points at you and says, I also said that the most important rule is to not get caught. It, it, yeah, fine. Is there a secluded alley where we can rumble leo is borderline shitting his pants right now <laughs> across the table 
Yu takes a big sip of her drink and says, Well, this ought to be delightful. And Doc is like slamming her drink with one hand up, slams the cup down and says, All right, I've had my drink. I'm fully prepared to stitch a couple of idiots back together. Stitch? Oh, okay. Uh, so we're, we're, we're stabbing each other. We're cutting each other? The captain <laughs> says, that's a good point. We should establish ground rules of engagement. I would prefer that rule one of engagement is nobody actually stabs anybody. The captain nods to himself. He says, all right, I can work with that for now. And then he gets up from the table. Leo quietly whispers, oh, Kimberl's bones, what did I do? And follows him outside. Most of the crew stay in the bar. I think Fee just puts her head in her hands and does not get up from the table with you. <laughs> but uh, Doc and you both come out with you. Leo kind of glares at you as they walk out. And what's the purpose of you coming with us? You is like bouncing with the schadenfreude inspired glee that only a 17 year old girl can muster up. Oh, I'm just here for the spectacle. Oh my god, I'm gonna die. Okay. And then Leo follows the captain wherever they're going. He leads you, like, around to a stable-looking building. And as he opens the door, there is a fistfight going on in this building. <laughs> he kicks the door frame and yells, Oi! Clear out! The people that are having this fistfight in the middle of the stable look at each other, look at him, and then slowly start walking out the other door. He says, right, and ushers you in. Doc and you both, like, settle down on a bench. The captain shrugs off his overcoat and pulls a knife out of his sleeve. And he says, first things first. If you're going to make being sneaky a professional skill, you've got to be fast. Roll initiative. Okay, well, I have max decks. I have plus five. This should be fine. Seven. So the captain, who has plus ten to initiative, rolled a dirty twenty. And as another feature of his rakish audacity, in addition to that extra plus five to initiative, because Doc and you are more than five feet away from you and the captain is not, he gets to add his sneak attack as he pulls out a dagger twirls it, and just smacks the shit out of you. Gonna go ahead and roll. <laughs> I fucking hate this man so much. So that was a natural 20. I'm gonna roll the dagger damage. 2d4, because he rolled nat 20. 7 plus 5 is 12. Plus sneak attack, which is 5d6, so 10d6. The captain pulls out a dagger, twirls it around his fingers. He grabs it by the sheath over the blade and just pistol whips you for 40 damage. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> and I think he fully breaks your nose. Ow! Fucking Kimmel's teeth! What the hell is wrong with you? Leo has blood just running out between his fingers as he grabs at his nose. And then, I guess it's my turn? Yeah, if you would like to do something. I'm gonna try to pistol whip him back with Kimrel's blade. That's a 17 to hit. Normally that would hit, but the captain has the defensive duelist feat. 
which means once per turn he can add plus four to his AC as a reaction, so that does not hit. Son of a bitch! He just leans out of your way, like, Matrix-style. Nods, seeming satisfied, says, Right. Good show in lesson one, lad. And then he tucks his knife back in his sleeve, and he, like, makes a motion towards Doc. He says, Doc, could you come set the young man's nose? And Doc, already bustling over, says, Yes, yes, to hell with you. I thought I fucking hated Oskaya. Okay. <laughs> the captain is just grinning. He does not seem like there are any hard feelings from this combat. Good for him that he doesn't have any hard feelings. That's great. He claps his hands. He says, well, wait for one. I'm not done drinking for the night. See you inside. I'm going to try to swipe him as he walks out. Go ahead. That's a 27. He can't block that. No, he can't. <laughs> and I have Kimmerl's Blade, so that's a D6 plus 5. So that's 9 damage. I'm not going to hurt him or stab him because we agreed that we wouldn't. But I am just going to try to, like, clock him in the back of the head with the hilt. Doc squawks irritably <laughs> as you, like, pull away from her when she's trying to set your nose. Make a grapple check. 12. Captain rolled an 18. So you clock him on the back of the head, and he turns, still just grinning broadly, and I think he, like, swipes your feet out from under you, grabs you by the shoulder, and he is pinning you on the ground. And then he just laughs, this big, brassy, musical laugh. He goes, <laughs> you're a quick study. And then he gets up and he goes inside. I think Leo has quite literally paid for a rogue level up in blood now. Yay, I can do things again! <laughs> My strength score is fucking decimated, but I've got sneak attack now. <laughs> Leo lets Doc finish setting his nose, and then goes back inside and sits down next to Fee in his blood-soaked shirt and says nothing. You get the impression that Fee has already been briefed on the situation when you come back in. She is not looking at the captain as she drinks. She's given him a bit of a cold shoulder because he beat the shit out of you. <laughs> it comes to mind, Leo says, and then absolutely fucking downs the drink in front of him, that this is the only shirt I own, and I only own it by the grace of Boots and Pelican. So I think before we get back on the ship, if no other business transactions or important political meetings or people breaking my nose are happening tonight, we should see if there is a place in town where we can get some new threads. Fee into her cup says, Yes, I think that would be best. And she, like, brushes invisible dust off of herself. Major's armor is not the most comfortable thing to wear for long periods of time. And, and she, like, inclines her head at the captain. As much as I appreciate borrowed wardrobes, Sabine and I have very different palettes. I'm going to take Fee and drag her out into the street and try to find somewhere to buy new clothes. As they walk down the street, Leo quietly whispers, Man, he really fucking rocked my shit. <laughs> Fee says, You asked a pirate in a pirate bar to teach you how to handle weapons, Leo. Why is it that ever since we left Gimtarum, you've been mostly having fun and I've been mostly just getting my face destroyed? Fee stops in the middle of the road 
and just puts one finger up and says, oh, I've been having fun. Yes, she who brings thunder upon her enemies. It seems like you and the captain are having a great time. Fee pauses and just grinds her teeth and says, no, I'm not going to say it. It would be excessively mean after the year you've had. Let's just go. Okay, we go try to find a store to buy some clothes. Fee, in frosty silence, (laughs) buys a couple dresses and just waits by the door, fuming for you to pick out your clothes. I buy some pirate clothes. I buy, like, some knee breeches and a pair of boots with the rest of the shiny rocks we have from Oskaya, and, like, a fluffy pirate shirt, and a hat. I want a hat. Hell yeah. You get a full pirate outfit. You're very fashionable. You head back to the Rusty Cutlass and meet the crew, all heading back to the ship. The captain, visibly tipsy, grins at you and says, How's your nose? I'm gonna wait for Fee to pass us and get out of earshot. Okay. Fee is giving both of you the cold shoulder now. (laughs) I think she just, like, starts marching towards the ship with Doc. Leo waits until she gets out of earshot and then leans over to the captain, stone-cold expression, and says, Slightly damaged, but it still has one up on my sister's. It knows how to smell bullshit. He claps you on the shoulder and he says, I wouldn't sniff too hard. Probably won't help with the swelling. And then he just goes past you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Fucking hate this dude. Fee, you and Leo spend the next several days mostly on the ship. The captain makes it pretty clear that it's not a good idea for the two of you to be seen in town until it is time for you to be seen. So you mostly just stay aboard. Leo nurses his newly broken nose over the next few days. And you are on deck hanging out with Boots and Pelican when the captain comes jogging up the gangplank, points at you and then Leo in quick succession, and goes, All right, both of you. It's time. With me, please. I think Fee is still, like, low-key giving both him and Leo the cold shoulder for very different reasons, but she sniffs and follows after him. You guys make your way down the gangplank into town, and back to the Rusty Cutlass, actually. You walk in, the captain does that same thing he did the first time, where he presses a hand to his lips and then to the little glass case on the doorframe, nods at the bartender. She nods back, in between yelling at what appears to be several of her children that are waiting tables, and says, They're upstairs waiting for you, Captain. And he ushers the two of you up a narrow set of steps off of the bar and up into the upper floors of this inn. You guys go all the way up, several flights of stairs, to an upper room. The captain stops you outside the door before you go in and says, We're getting ready to go into negotiations with some of the most prolific criminals in the entire world. I know it'll grate on some of us, and he glares over at Leo, but I need you to follow my lead, alright? Understood. The captain nods, looks over at you, and then kicks in the door, and with this big, bombastic voice, shouts, What blessed tides wash me up on the same shores as the fairest lasses in all the world? (laughs) 
you follow into this room behind him and you see sitting around a large round table laden down with various maps and pieces of parchment, a stout buff halfling lady sitting next to her is a willowy human lady. A little further around the table is a positively grizzled old dwarf lady with a magnificent beard smoking a long-stemmed pipe. She has one eye and then a prosthetic that is a glowing red gem similar to what the captain has around his neck that he used to call the meeting. Next to her, there's an empty chair. And next to the empty chair, in a much bigger, sturdier, kind of oversized chair, is sitting Katya of Clan Mistfoot, she who rode the snapping turtle. Fee looks at Leo, looks back at Katya, and says, Hi. Fancy seeing you here. Katya kind of blinks and shakes her head a little bit, but then says, Ah, yes. She who brings thunder upon her enemies. He who rode the Cragcat. It is my honor to meet you again. The captain looks back and forth between you in a hurry and then recovers and says, Aye, Katya is the pirate queen of Oskaya. Oh, that's, uh, <clears throat> that's a hell of a coincidence. Katya waves her hand in kind of an eh motion and goes, is not that big of coincidence. There are three people who own boat in Oskaya. Mine is biggest. I am pirate queen by default. And then the captain throws his head back and laughs and goes, Aye, Kachi doesn't do much loot in her pillaging, but we just think it's nice to loop her in on what's going on. And the captain nods at the grizzled old dwarvish lady with the big ruby eye and goes, That'd be Agrippina the Red, Pirate Queen of Ogvoldur. Once, back in antiquity, she had a surname, but so many of her husbands kept dying under mysterious circumstances that we all just stopped keeping track. He says this to this woman's face? Oh, yes. She grumbles something in Dwarvish at him and lights her pipe again and takes another long drag off of it. And then he nods at the halfling lady and the human lady sitting next to her and goes, and of course, the esteemed pirate queens of Tordun, Captain Beatrix Stillbranch and her lovely wife, Ingrid. The human lady waves and pulls up a covered plate that she has had sitting on the table and goes, Hi, everybody, I made cookies. The captain smiles really big and goes, oh, Did you do the snickerdoodles again, Ingrid? And this lady, Ingrid, smiles at him through gritted teeth and goes, Yes, sweetheart, just for you, even though you robbed three of our ships last month. The captain raises his hands, kind of like, what are you going to do? And goes, Ah, Ingrid, you know, people in the aisles got to eat and we've got storm season coming on. It's nothing personal. And then he grabs a cookie off the plate and munches down on it. With his mouth full, Fee, he leans over to you and goes, It's a really try one, they're fucking delicious. I'm good, thanks. Ah, suit yourselves. He sets up in one of the empty chairs around the table. As you look around, you see that there is a chair for the captain and then two chairs very close to him. You assume they're for you and Leo. 
And then on the other side of Katya, there's another empty chair at the table. Do you sit? Oh, yeah, I sit down. Leo sets up in the chair next to you. The captain kicks his boots up on the table completely irreverently, as per usual. Kind of perches his hands behind his head. All right, ladies, we've got a bit of a predicament on our hands. The halfling lady, Beatrix, puts one finger up and says, Yeah, apparently we do. But, um, I mean, I know that one of our empty chairs always likes to be fashionably late, but we're a little worried. Kata's usually so punctual. The captain squints at the empty chair on one side of Katya, nods, and says, Oi, hope she's all right. From behind you, you hear the sound of a door opening, and a voice saying, I'm afraid not. She's dead. Uh, I turn around. You turn around, Leo turns with you. The captain next to you, Fee, goes absolutely rigid and does not turn. And now I am going to need you to make me the world's easiest history check. This is a DC five. Five on the dice that I have proficiency, so it's an 11. You turn around, and standing in the doorway is a tall, willowy, infernal elf woman. Elven equivalent of, like, early 30s, with jade green skin, solid black eyes, much like yours long, curly, ashy brown hair, and spiraling, almost antelope-like horns, with a small tricorn hat kind of half-cocked between them. She is carrying a sword at her belt, even though there are no weapons technically allowed in Parlay Cove, and dressed in very fine sailor's garb. And with that history check, you immediately recognize this woman as the captain of the ship that took you and your party out of Australia when you escaped. The one that you had the very quick passing acknowledgement with when you got off the boat. Fee goes absolutely rigid in her chair and doesn't say anything. Beside you, the captain looks more freaked than you've ever seen him. He is just sitting with very stiff, upright posture in his chair. None of the relaxed confidence is there. Still without turning around, he nods curtly and says, Defiance, nice to see you on this side of the cannon fire. This woman moves into the room, puts two hands on his shoulders, leans over one side of him and presses a quick kiss to his cheek and says, You can just go ahead and say you missed me, honey. And after that, she moves over behind the empty chair on the other side of the captain next to Katya. But before she sits down, she does a very formal, clipped Australian greeting bow to you. Grand Duchess, we never got the pleasure of a formal introduction. Vice Admiral Defiance of Australian Naval Special Forces she sits down, she does not say shit to Leo. 
one hand goes up to press to the base of her throat for a second, and she says, The pleasure's mine, I'm sure. Leo squints next to you and goes, Vice Admiral of Australian Naval Special Forces and Pirate Queen of Australia. Vice Admiral Defiance shrugs, adjusts her hat on her head, and goes, <laughs> This is my side gig, kid. The captain, still with very stiff, rigid posture, puts both of his hands flat on the table in front of him and goes, Oh, well, I suppose Defiance has already handled one half of the introductions for me, but the reason I called y'all here today is to introduce you to Grand Duke and Grand Duchess Leiril and Furor of Alsine of Australia. He turns his head over to Defiance really pointedly and says, Who are under my protection and seeking passage to... And then Beatrix raises a hand and goes, No, no, I get that. We need to talk about Kato. What the hell happened, Defiance? The captain just sort of nods silently and then grabs an empty piece of parchment and a quill and starts scribbling on it, Fee, as you're sitting next to him. Go ahead and roll me perception. Natural 20. You are listening to a lot of the outrage coming from these other pirate monarchs. Katya's mostly sitting there taking it all in, but the other three seem very upset. You just zero in on what the captain is writing kind of as low-key as he can. You notice he has one arm kind of barring the side of the parchment so Defiance can't see over it. And he writes down, Kata Brywin, dash, Pirate Queen of Dowrier. And then circles it and looks over at you. She nods, purses her lips, tries to catch Leo's eyes and nod towards the parchment. Okay, let me roll perception for Leo. He gets plus eight, so this shouldn't be hard. Can I give him the help action? Yeah, absolutely. He can roll this with advantage. So he got a 23 on that perception check. He absolutely looks down at the parchment and then looks up at the both of you, eyes wide. While this is all happening, Vice Admiral Defiance is so relaxed in her chair. She reaches up to her hat and kind of fiddles with a brooch that she has pinned to one of the corners of the tricorn, where you see another one of those round red gems. It seems that all of the pirate monarchs have these gems. She reaches into a leather satchel at her waist and tosses a bangle, like a gold bracelet, with a similar gem set into it onto the table, and says, Well, I'm afraid I don't have that much insight to it, ladies, and... And she looks over to the side of the captain. I'm reticent to say gentlemen, but... The Providence washed up on the shores of Luxtogallan about a month ago. A ghost ship. No one aboard. No signs of violence. We can only assume that Kate is out of commission. Fee, I want you to roll insight, and Leo is going to give you the help action on this, because he has a really fucking good insight modifier. 17. As she says this, Leo catches your eye, looks down at the bangle, and gives you a very weighted look, and for the first time in your fucking life, sibling telepathy kicks in. This lady absolutely killed the pirate queen of Dowrier and is daring anybody here to call her on it. Fee looks between Katja and the captain to try to judge their reactions, because they're the only people here that she knows. Katja looks mostly confused. It seems like 
even though she is being looped in on a lot of these decisions in this pirate court, that Katya doesn't have a lot to do with them, and her sphere of influence does not extend nearly as far as Australia or Dowrier. The captain looks deeply concerned, but also deeply afraid. He says nothing. Defiance presses onward and says, At any rate, I don't think anybody here is going to get mad at any of our compatriots for capitalizing on an unfortunate situation. It is what we do, after all. I've assumed control of Cadus territory for the time being, at least until what's left of her people get together enough to challenge me. Is everybody okay with that? Agrippina the Red, this grizzled old dwarven lady with the prosthetic eye and the magnificent beard, taps her pipe out, raises a hand, and says, Yeah, well, I mean, if we want to get technical here, the fact that she abandoned ship doesn't necessarily mean that she's dead. And Defiance goes, Oh, she's dead, Agrippina. And the table goes very silent again. Fee has her hand clenched around the grip of her wand under the table. And she tilts her head and says, you seem awfully sure of that. Vice Admiral Defiance doesn't move her head from where she's been talking to Agrippina, but shifts her eyes over to you to catch your gaze and gives you this big, innocent, totally disingenuous grin. Well, Grand Duchess being Australian, you would know as well as I do that the Dragon's Maw is an exceedingly dangerous patch of water. If a ship shows up completely abandoned, it's unlikely bordering on impossible that any of the people that may have jumped off of it are still alive. Especially if it washes up on the shores of Luxtagallen. <laughs> yes, exactly. She waves a hand at the captain, really fucking condescendingly. Anyway, sweetie, what were you saying? Go on. The captain, still just looking really shell-shocked by this revelation, nods again and says, Oi, I called y'all here to discuss the fact that the Grand Duke and Grand Duchess over here are seeking passage to Gimtarum, and I wanted to know what all you could do about it. Agrippina the Red puts both her hands up and leans back in her chair. Hey, listen, kid, the blockade's affecting me just as much as it's affecting the rest of us. It's unbreakable, we can't do nothing about it. If they want to get to Gimtara by a nautical route, I'm not the person you want to talk to. Alright. Fee looks back at Leo, makes eye contact, and then says, So, we go back to Candlelight Wharf and try to take the land route up. Yeah, well, um, Beatrix Stillbranch puts a hand up. That would be a viable option if, A, your brother weren't wanted by half of the Sovereign Principalities, and B, if Tordun hadn't shut down all foreign traffic in and out of the country about, uh, four days ago? Oh. You gotta understand, the Sovereigns know that Vogvoldur can and will fight a war on two fronts. All due respect, Agrippina. Agrippina just puts her hands up again and shakes her head. They're trying to preserve their resources the best that they can, given that the blockade means that Valdurans are, uh, starting to get hungry. And Tordun is the breadbasket of the known world. You could try to sneak in. I might even be inclined to help you if there's something in it for me. 
But once you cross one closed border, you're going to have to get over a whole bunch of land that wants your brother's head on a pike, and then get over another closed border where I can't help you. Okay, so maybe we move up the coast? Defiance fixes you with an absolutely ravenous smile. You see those sharp Australian canines flashing at you under the low light of the room? Oh, I wouldn't advise that. The Australian Navy's been picking folks off the coast of Dowrier like flies. The country's been harboring Valdurian fugitives since the whole conflict started. And I'm the Grand Duchess. So unless there's something I should know, I have nothing to fear from the Australian Navy. Fee looks defiance directly in the eyes. She meets your gaze and does not waver, but then shifts her eyes over to Leo. You don't. Fee tries extremely hard not to look at Leo, and just sits very stiffly in the chair. You see Defiance kind of eye you up and down and note how rigid your posture is, and her smile widens a little bit. (laughs) So, everybody, I think we can all agree that this has been a collective waste of our time. Thank you, Sweet Pea, for that. And she turns back to the captain. She stands up from the table, pushes her chair back. Now, if you'll all excuse me, I have a blockade to uphold. But maybe I'll see you all downstairs for drinks later. She shoulder checks the captain on her way back from the table. And on her way past you, you see her hand drop down to her side and pull at something under her sleeve. Just before she turns around and leaves the room, you see the metallic shimmer of a beacon coin flashing in her hand. She tucks it back up into her sleeve, turns around, leaves the room. As soon as the door shuts behind her, the captain, who has had this very rigid, nervous posture the whole time, fully collapses forward with his elbows on the table and buries his head in his hands. Oh, gave us fucking thunder. Fee looks around the table. She is still not looking at Leo. And she says, Is she always like that, or... No, lass. Fortunately, you caught her on a good day. All of the other pirate monarchs sitting around the table look similarly unsettled. Beatrix sighs and leans back in her chair. Well, I mean, are we gonna do anything about this? The captain is mute and just shakes his head. And Agrippina rubs at the bridge of her nose a little bit and says, I mean, I don't like the broad any more than the rest of us, but I don't think that there's really anything we can do at this point. Great. Then, uh, Fee stands up, kind of dusts her hands off. Loath as I am to admit it, I think I agree with her that this has been a waste of time. I need a drink. And then she leaves the room. There's a long pause. Agrippina the Red curses quietly and deliberately in Dwarvish and stands up and also leaves the room. Beatrix and her wife Ingrid have an exchange of rapid-fire halfling. Beatrix claps the captain on the shoulder on her way back, gives you a sympathetic nod, and then just leaves. And Ingrid trails after her. It's just you and the captain left in the room. And he gives up on holding his head up and just plops it down on the table. 
Leo sucks his teeth and shakes his head for a couple seconds. So one of the higher-ups in the Australian Navy is running a piracy operation as a side hustle. Every day, I find out things about my country that make me wonder why I ever wanted to go back. With his head down on the table, the captain, muffled, says, If it's any comfort, no one else wants to go there either. So what's her deal? She wants something. People like her always want something. The captain's shoulders tense a little bit. Um, Leo, make me an insight check. Dirty 20. The captain sighs, says, She wants... Power, mostly. There's just a weird note in his voice that makes it clear there's some history there. Like history in the way that pirates have history, or like history? The latter. Mm-hmm. Leo stands up from his chair and pushes it in behind him. That would have been a nice heads-up to have, given that we don't really have that much of a picture of the situation. At any rate, I don't care what you get up to with your extracurricular activities, Captain, but let's make one thing very clear. Whatever drama or fallout comes from them, you better leave my sister the hell out of it. The captain sits up very suddenly, slams a hand down on the table, and like leans forward and hisses at you, points emphatically out the door. His hand is shaking. That woman just murdered another member of this court. She can dress it up as fancy as she likes. In cold blood, she killed one of the people holding her accountable. Do you understand that? Has that gone through your head? She has murdered one of the few people that can stop her from doing what she wants. A friend of mine, by the way. And now, her ships can go wherever they please within the woman's territory. Which, for the record, means that she can go within leagues of Paraport. In case you had your head too far up your royal ass to process the uh, governmental structures of other countries, Paraport is the seat of the government that keeps the place running. And my home. And the Zephyr Royals don't have a fancy navy keeping us safe. We have me. That's it. So my apologies for not prioritizing your feelings in this situation. Leo's just doing mental math as fast as he can, trying to find an exit route out of this, and comes up empty. And just stops behind the captain's chair and puts one hand down on the wood behind his back. I'm sorry about your friend. I really am. And I'm sorry for any Australian fuckery that is putting your people in danger. I really am. But as far as the former is concerned, bringing back the dead is a stretch. And as far as the latter is concerned, my sister and I are the only two people in the world right now that are capable of stopping it. And if we're going to, we need to find a way to get to Gimtarum. This is a setback, but I think I'm correct in assuming that neither of us can afford to let it knock us down right now. He sits up, breaking a hand back through his hair. He says, I... that we can't. And he nods and he gets up. Well, if everybody's heading down for some nightcaps, I'm going to go try to talk to Agrippina. I think she's the person here who, whether or not she wants to publicly admit it, can help us the most. You do that. 
I have to go discuss this with my first mate. Sure thing. I go downstairs, and if Agrippina's still down there, I try to track her down and get her at least far enough away from Defiance that we can have a conversation. You find this old lady at the bar making a bit of a ruckus. She's doing the uh, 3 a.m. at a bachelor party thing of having the bartender pour her six shots in a line and just slamming all of them at once. She, like, twirls a finger and she says, leave the bottle, sweetheart. And the bartender obligingly thunks a bottle of whiskey down next to her. I'm gonna sit next to her and get a bottle of tequila for myself. She ignores you as she finishes up her shots. And then she points directly at you with that ruby red eye spinning and then focusing on you. I met your father once. He was a little shit. Saw this war coming from a mile away. And unfortunately, I was only able to see it from a couple inches. So you have my respect for your foresight. Now I think the issue that both of us desperately want to solve is how do we make it stop? Kid, there ain't no stopping something built on this much bitterness. Leo downs like three tequila shots before he responds. Yeah, it's almost like when a country stages brutal invasions of another one for almost 200 years, and the person that gets in charge after all of that ends up being a fucking maniac that grudges get held and people get caught in the crossfire. There's a pause. She, like, scrubs a hand over her mouth. Look, kid, if I still stood by half the shit that happened in that war, I'd still be in the Boulder and Navy, all right? Plenty of people I served with deserved to be locked up, and they got... She, like, twirls the bottle. Fucking book deals. Well, and the political environment in Australia lets people do things like commit fratricide and get a crown, so... I don't think anybody's nose here is clean on the higher levels. It's... The people more removed from the situation that are going to suffer the most, I'm afraid. Yeah, that's always how it is. She takes another big swig out of the bottle. She says, look, if I knew a way through that blockade, I'd give it to you. They got the capital completely fucking blocked off. Nobody's been out of there in months. And despite the best efforts of an entire fleet of Voldoran steamships, we haven't been able to get supplies up the coast in just as long. And what about the Australian population in the capital and Gimtarum and the other cities? What's going to happen to them? That ruby eye spins again, and she says, Like I said, kid, war's been coming a long time, and it's built on a fuck of a lot of bitterness. And if I'm going to help put it to a stop, I need to get to Gimtarum. Is there any way past that blockade that you know. I'll take a rowboat if I have to. It's a full fleet, armed to the teeth with cannons and battle mages. I don't know what you think you're gonna do. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Leo leans forward and takes three more shots of tequila. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Fee, you head downstairs. The rusty cutlass is. A rip-roaring party at this time of the night. Bar full of pirates, singing, laughing, fighting. The pirate monarchs, you notice, kind of go and either mingle among their crews or start talking to each other. You see 
Beatrix Stillbranch and her wife go over to a group of halfling and human pirates and start talking in very low tones to each other around a table in one part of the room. You see your brother come down after a bit with the captain, but Leo peels off to talk to Agrippina the Red, and the captain fully leaves the bar and walks outside, looking deeply worried. This rowdy tavern scene just swirls around you, this sea of people. You end up backed against the bar at one point, just looking for some kind of solidity. And after a long stretch of time, you hear a voice next to you chime in. So, I've been trying to figure it out. Are you a whiskey girl or a gin girl? Fee sucks her teeth for a second, plastered on a big fake smile, and says, Vodka. You look over and Defiance is giving you this slow, curling smile as she slams a handful of Australian gold down on the counter and raps sharply on the bar with her knuckles. Yeah, that makes sense. I could see you liking the burn. What do you uh, say we go knock a few back and have a discussion, Grand Duchess? Her hand finds its way into the folds of her skirts to just clench around the grip of her wand. And she says, I would love that, Vice Admiral. Defiance orders a neat whiskey for herself and a vodka soda for you. The landlady of the Rusty Cutlass gives her a little bit of a dirty look as she does this, but then she gets your drinks and walks you across the room to a far-flung table that you notice as soon as she sits down. People on either side of you fucking vacate. She settles into the seat glances at the cleared tables and brings her hand with her wand up to settle down on the table and then crosses her other arm over it to hide it. Truth dies in darkness. Defiance has been taking a sip of her whiskey and she spits it back into the cup. (laughs) Oh, please. Look, okay. I get that the Beacon has their whole thing about the ultimate power of truth being the force that turns the wheels of all political machinations, but if you'll forgive my skepticism, Grand Duchess, in my line of work, I found the opposite to be true. I don't need to color a relationship of convenience with all of their fancy passwords and secret handshakes. We could be frank with each other. Still with that just fake, pleasant smile, says, Oh, I'd enjoy that very much. And then brings her wand hand up again, just twirls her wand between her fingers, puts her chin down on her hand and says, What do you want? Oh, that's a big question, isn't it? Defiance drums her nails on the table and takes another sip of whiskey, swirls the glass in her free hand. Uh, Let's see. Money. Influence. Power. And proximity to the people that can give it to me, mostly. And that's why that blockade's not coming down anytime soon, you understand. 
Frankly, if either you or your brother turn up alive, the whole war loses its precedent. And that's not good for your father's interests, or more importantly, <laughs> mine. Fee tilts her head back and laughs. <laughs> you seem like a complicated woman. I'm sure you have multiple interests. She grins over the rim of her glass and says, <laughs> Well, if you wanted the full story on that, you could ask the captain. But at any rate, I didn't come here to spill all the juicy details of my personal life. I'm here to make you an offer. What? Out of the goodness of your heart, you've made it clear that our interests run counter to each other. The goodness of my heart doesn't exist, honey, and the sooner you realize that, the better. Like I said, you turning up alive in Vogvoldor is counter to pretty much any Australian interest. However, I'm willing to give you a free lift back to Australia if you want to walk down to the docks with me and hop on my ship. Oh, yes, that sounds wonderful. So my father can have me locked away so we can continue playing out his war? Or so you could, if you were smart anyway, accomplish what you want to accomplish while daddy's across the sea playing soldier. I really don't care whose ass is on the throne Grant touches, as long as our contracts stay maintained. And you seem like a woman with goals. I have my share of goals, but if you're expecting my determination to achieve them to get in the way of my good sense, I'm afraid you're going to be quite disappointed. Defiance shrugs, drains her drink, and sets the empty glass back on the table. Alright, fine. Stay down here, play pirate, spin your wheels while the world turns on without your influence. Either way, it doesn't really bother me. I just figured I'd reach a hand out. Or, my brother and I find our own way past that blockade, sooner or later. This war ends, and... Ooh, I wonder what'll happen to you. She leans in across the table, a little bit into your personal space, and says... So far, my record for coming out on top of bad situations is 100%, Grand Duchess. I'm not worried. And if you were half as prudent as you're playing yourself off to be, you'd take my advice, cut the dead weight, and get in while the pickings are good. What dead weight would that be? Well, there really aren't a whole lot of choices on the table, are there? I mean, the captain is dead useful if you can get him in the situation for it, but I think we can both agree that the only outcome for Brother Dearest in any eventuality is, <laughs> if you'll pardon my frankness, a short drop and a sudden stop. You come back to Australia with me. You let me see that inevitability to its end. And you've got free reign of the whole country. It's an enchanting offer. 
Phi leans a little closer, and she says, But I think if you were half as confident as you're pretending to be, you wouldn't have made it. Phi takes note of the fact that she's an infernal elf and that she has a very specific name. She stands up, takes the vodka bottle with her, gestures with it for a second, and she says, Oh, one question. How does a nice girl from the Silent City end up working for the Beacon, the Navy, and a pirate fleet? Roll intimidation. I'm going to use a reroll. Second one. Third reroll. That's the ticket. 23. When you mention the Silent City, you see her reel back and a really quick clip show of emotions crosses her face. You see shock and then fear and then hurt and then stone cold rage. She realizes that you have perceived this moment of weakness and it clearly does not sit well with her. She rolls her shoulders back, fixes her posture, and with a absolutely razor-edged smile says, Well, see, that's the thing about playing both sides, Grand Duchess. You never lose. And she turns around and walks out through the front door of the bar. Leo, you're still at the bar before Agrippina has time to respond to your existential spiral. A hand closes on your shoulder and leaning in close to your ear, your sister says, we got to get the fuck out of here. Leo jumps and kind of twitches around to look at her. Uh, yeah, okay, sure. What What's going on? Uh, Fee looks a little awkward for a second. She says, I did something impulsive. Uh, we should leave. I'll explain later. Who are you and what have you done with my sister? Leo gets up and goes out with her. She tows you out of the bar. Outside, the captain and you are having a conversation, very hushed, near the door of the tavern. Fee claps her hands and says, Right, so, uh, Interesting turn of events. Um, I seem to have made a very dangerous person very nervous, and I think we should leave now. Leo stares at her for a second and then just slowly brings up one hand to the side of his head and sighs. I know. I'm aware. We don't need to talk about it. We essentially don't need to talk about it in the open, on the street. Can we go to the boat? Yeah, I would love to go to the boat. I never thought I'd say that, but I would really love to go to the boat. Let's go to the boat. The captain kind of looks at Fee, looks at you, scrubs both hands over his face for a second, and then nods. Right. Seems we're all in agreement. We'd best be moving on. And then he turns to you and he says, not you, but you. Um <laughs> what a tangled web we have woven for ourselves. <laughs> um, and he says, Right. Let's go. And then just 
gestures for both of you to follow him as he heads down the street. You all reconvene at the ship. As you're reaching the gangplank of the ship, from a little bit further down the docks, Beatrix Stillbranch cups her hands around her mouth and yells, Hey, Captain! Thought you were all planning on posting up for a little bit longer. The captain tips his hat at her and says, Oi, but uh, plans change. Got somewhere to be. Beatrix tilts her head to the side and squints at him and goes, All right, I look forward to meeting the next pirate moniker, the Zephyr Isles, then. And she laughs and she heads off towards her own boat. Leo's eyes get a little big and he looks over at the captain. Oh, okay, uh, that sounds less than promising. The captain rolls his eyes and kind of like shakes some of the tension out of his shoulders and he says, Captain Stillbranch greatly underestimates my abilities as a sailor. Okay, so what are we doing? Where are we going? Because as far as my understanding of the situation goes, we can't really sail any further up Schitt's Creek than we already are, so what's our adjusted course? The captain gives you a big rakish grin, and he says, We're setting sail for Pearlport. We're going to approach the Conclave, see if there's anything they can do to help us out of the situation. And if not... He makes a grand gesture at Parley Cove and says, Parlport's at least a better place to get our bearings than all this splendor you see before you. Okay, well, my track record with trusting governing bodies to help me out has gotten me exiled, kidnapped, and almost murdered. So I don't feel great about this, but I also don't see what other option we have. The captain laughs to himself and says, Oi, you and me both. And then he just starts stomping up the gangplank. I think if you go to follow, Fee grabs your arm again. She looks up after the captain and then looks back at you and says, Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't the portal map have one in the Zephyr Isles? Leo also looks up on the ship to make sure the captain is out of earshot and then nods. Yes, in Pearlport, actually. But we are going to come to the agreement right now that neither of us mentions this to the captain, yes? I think that would be best. Whatever else those portals are, they're a source of immense magical power. And we have first-hand experience with just how dangerous they can get. Making information of something like that widely available doesn't sound like a smart move. Fee grimaces a little bit and, like, tilts her head, and she says, At the least, we should figure out what we're doing before we start including other people in our plans. Agreed. So, I'll watch what I'm divulging to people, and you, uh, just be careful during pillow talk, okay? And then Leo gets on the boat. Oh, <laughs> He, like, makes strangling motions, but follows you onto the boat. As you get up on the deck, the captain nods at the both of you and says, Right. Best to get ready to set off as quickly as possible. He nods towards the prow of the ship. You see, up above the horizon, this 
weird kind of effect in the sky. Shimmering green, purple, blue ribbons of light. And you see clouds starting to gather under them and just swirl and spark with this cloud-to-cloud lightning. The captain gives you this big, sharp grin. It's coming up on storm season. And that's where we're going to end for this week. Hey, I hate Defiance. Oh, same. (laughs) (laughs) I wish we could say that's the only time we're going to see her. But it's not. (laughs) And you'll figure out what we mean by that next time. On Compelled Duel. Hey everybody, Barry here with the Postscript, just clearing up a couple housekeeping things here at the end of the episode. You can find us on social media. We are on Twitter, Tumblr, and TikTok, Duel. You can also find us on TikTok, Duel Audios, where we post audio snippets from the show. We have a lot of other cool stuff, like an official website, an official Spotify account. You can find all of that linked on our various social media profiles. If you're liking what you're hearing so far on the podcast, we ask that you consider pledging to our Patreon. You can find that over at patreon.com slash compelled duel, where for just $2 a month, you can get really cool benefits like early access to episodes, access to bonus content, and even letters from your favorite character every month. If you're interested in supporting the podcast in ways other than pledging to the Patreon, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, we ask that you consider leaving us a rating and a review. That helps the show get promoted to a wider audience. And as always, word-of-mouth advertising is the most powerful tool we have. If you like the show, just tell a couple friends about it. And if they like it, ask them to tell a couple friends about it. Season 2, Episode 8 is going to be premiering on Friday, July 30th, 2021. Or if you are a member of the Patreon, you'll get your early access on Thursday, July 29th. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you next week.